You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Wealth Tech on Deck. We like to look at the confluence of digital and human advice from a variety of angles. Today, we're going to look at it from the perspective of a boutique wealth management firm. Much of wealth management seeks to combine the attractive attributes of a big firm size, scale, tech advantages, with the kind of client connection a boutique firm can provide. Fiduciary Trust International operates like a small firm, but is owned by Franklin Templeton, so it has significant resources backing it up. Our guest today is Rod Sage. Rod is the head of digital strategy at Fiduciary Trust International. Rod, welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Hey, Jack. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, Rod, before we talk about what you do at Fiduciary Trust and where you see the world going, let's start by filling our audience in on Fiduciary Trust International. What is, who is Fiduciary Trust? What do you do? Who do you do it for? And what is your relationship with Franklin Templeton? So fill us in. Sure. Fiduciary Trust is a wealth management firm that was founded in 1931 by families for families. You know, our singular focus is on growing and protecting our clients' wealth through generations. We work closely with individuals, families, foundations, endowments to build and manage personal investment portfolios and to develop estate plans to extend wealth to future generations. We're really in the business of families and making sure that financial planning and investment management is really a family priority, not just one person in the family, not just the patriarch and matriarch, as an example, but the entire family. Since we see that wealth passes from generation to generation, we want to make sure we preserve a lot of that. From a Franklin Templeton side, we are supported by Franklin Templeton, which is one of the best mixes of a boutique firm backed by a really large fund company. So that provides us with adequate funding support, certainly provides me with adequate funding and support as far as our technology initiatives are concerned. But Franklin Templeton has a lot of different products that we can offer our clients. So there really isn't anything that our client can find elsewhere that they can't find at fiduciary trusts, whether it's hedge funds, alternatives, you know, a mix of different values in a portfolio, ESG, et cetera. We have that all under one roof. And we have the thought leadership of Franklin as well as the thought leadership within fiduciary trust to combine that for our clients. And we've covered it in other podcasts with uh, colleagues from around the Franklin Templeton universe. I've interviewed uh, Jenny Johnson, who I just think is one of the sharpest executives in our industry. And uh, what she has put together in the team at Franklin Templeton is from a product standpoint, technology standpoint, investment in the future standpoint, she's brilliant. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So you're you're in good hands there. So Rod, tell us about your background. How did you uh, find your way to fiduciary trust? Please start, if you would, with how you got started in the business, a little bit on your career journey. How do you wind up as head of digital at uh, Fiduciary Trust? A very odd journey, if, I'd say, if I can say that. I started as a teller at Wells Fargo when I was 17 years old. I didn't have a sixth period of high school, and I decided I wanted to get a job and, and make some money. I was working for my dad on the side for a business that he had, and he wasn't paying me anything. And I had I had gas to put in the car and things like that. So I found myself at Wells Fargo and I applied for a teller job. And at that time, they were paying $8.25 an hour. That was pretty darn good, especially for, for someone in high school. 
And I would work there a little bit, you know, after school and on Saturdays. Uh, and I didn't have to work Sundays. So while all my friends were working restaurant jobs, I kind of had, you know, nights off and uh, most of the weekend off. So it was a really great role. Shortly a year into that, my father passed away and I was basically ended up homeless. And so I really needed to put a roof over my head. And I ended up working at Wells Fargo full time as much as I could. And what I found there and working with clients was that I really enjoyed kind of the interaction between client and service team or advisor. And I worked my way through the branch system and the branch was rolling out a brand new tool for bankers to open accounts and manage clients' accounts. And for some reason, I got really vocal around what I liked and what I didn't like in that product. Throwback, this was 1998, 1999. So internet was relatively newish. You know, we didn't have all the things that we had today. System design was really new. People didn't understand the term UX or UI, those types of things, much like they are now. APIs were a thing of the past, or not really in the future here. Someone recognized at the company that I had some good ideas, and they also recognized that they had no one on the project team or the product team that had ever worked inside the branch. So the company recruited me to move to San Francisco. I'd lived in San Diego at that time, and I started becoming a business analyst, designing and working on requirements for the banker system. Shortly, you know, after a few years of there, the wealth management group, high net worth group within Wells Fargo, asked me to go do the same thing because they wanted to build a new platform, and that kind of launched the direction of my career where I was solely focused on high net worth, ultra high net worth clients and got really exposed to that. And I always kind of had a knack for technology. I don't really think I ever knew it. I was the kid who would often open up the rotary phone on the bottom of it and take it apart. <laughs> and I would play around. My, my mom would kill me because she was always waiting for a phone call. <laughs> and I was taking apart the bottom of the rotary phone, taking apart because I just was. I was curious on how it worked. I, I, it, you know, when you see this tan little dial pad with the phone and this cord, and you know, you're talking to people all across the world on this thing, and it just never made sense to me. So I had to open it up. And that really followed me through a lot of my journey in product management is, you know, opening up whatever the technology is or getting someone, you know, someone in the front office to really open up about what they're doing on a daily basis or how they're doing what they're doing and thus launched um, that career path. And I had been at Wells Fargo for 22 years. I was recruited by fiduciary trust. And I said, well, let's give it a go. And I have a couple of requirements when looking at a firm. And that is, you know, does the executive management believe in digital strategy and that it's appropriate for high net worth and ultra high net worth clients? And I think if you look at the industry, we love to give technology to retail clients, mass market. But when it comes to higher wealth, there's this aura that those clients don't want digital technology and don't want ease of use. And in fact, they want it more than anyone else does because they have a higher propensity to buy the iPad or the iPhone every year that every child has one of those because they have the means to do so. In fact, their probably grandchildren are asking their grandparents for money through mobile devices, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> I know I would do the same thing. So I looked at that and I had worked with John Dad, who's the CEO of fiduciary trust at Wells. We both knew each other from Wells Fargo, just in different capacity. And I always knew that he was a really digital first mind. I had also done some research on Jenny Johnson, who you talked about earlier and understood that 
She had run technology and operations for a very long time and was part of the founding family of Franklin Templeton. So I thought I had a really good in. You know, it was a place where I could come and really put my own spin on what I think the high net worth and ultra high net worth client does in a, in a boutique firm where you can really affect change but with really a great backing of, of Franklin Templeton. So it really is executive buy-in and, and really the, the power of Franklin Templeton. Two things to underscore. I'm sure you've heard of this, but they've taken uh, rotary phones and push button phones of yore that you described earlier. And they've put it in front of kids today and they don't yes. know what to do with it. They don't even know what it is. That's one. <laughs> right. And two, I don't know if you've heard this, but Jenny Johnson's kids are in their 20s and are big TikTokers. And she wants to take Franklin Templeton onto TikTok. She may already have done. It. I think she has actually. So I'm not sure if you've heard that through the grapevine, but yes, yes, I spent way too many hours on TikTok, so it's good. We've all been there. I know. At least some of us have. So, <laughs> what, let me talk a little bit. So, I'm fasc- always fascinated about how you get where you you're going, and it sounds like you've got a wonderful story around the career emergence journey. What it call what you will. What are you doing now? What are you excited about? It sounds like you're in an ideal kind of situation with a boutique firm that's digital first, that has a CEO that gets it, that has a see his his boss or whoever, however it's structured, she gets it. So what are you excited about? What are you working on? What are you doing? You know, one of the things I always talk about is I'm not here to replace the advisor or the service team. What I want digital to be is the table that they meet on. People come to us, clients come to us for advice. Not the amount of paper we hand them during a quarterly meeting. They come to us to help solve problems. And I really believe that digital technology and technology in general has made some of the complex issues that families deal with or that high net worth or ultra high net worth clients deal with in their finances a lot more tactile. And I talk about tactileness a lot. And I also talk about a word I came up with, which is adaption. And it's the culmination of adoption and uh, adaptability, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's really, when clients come to us or they think, I'm like, oh, I'm going to automatically myself go see if I can log on and move money or, you know, add a CPA or attorney to my account. Are they thinking in those mindset and is the advisor thinking in that? And I want always clients to have full transparency on everything that's going on on their relationship with fiduciary trust and make sure that that experience is tactile. Can I? Proverbially, touch it, feel it, move it around, and really understand it. And that comes from maybe my learning path. I had a very hard time growing up reading books and understanding what was in that book. And I was always a much more visual learner. And in fact, I can learn more watching a YouTube video than I can read a manual or read a book. And even more so by doing, do I get it even more and really understand that goes back to opening up that phone. Right? I needed to touch. I needed things to be tactile. So I'm really trying to bring that. And that's what I'm really excited about is how do we flip kind of this age-old institution, very old institution as far as any institution that's in high net worth, or ultra high net worth, but especially our company that was founded in 1931. And how do I bring that tactile experience to our clients and the next generation after that? I'm fascinated by it. I love how you're characterizing this because I think it's so true. It's We all live in a digital world. I remember the old days in my briefcase, which I don't have a briefcase anymore, largely because I'm not <laughs> traveling as I once did. But, okay. but I used to have papers. And I, at the end of the night, 
you know, leaving the office, I'd stuff my briefcase and then I'd read on the train or wherever I was, whatever I was doing. And I don't have any papers. I recently, I no longer work from my office because I work from my home, like a lot of folks, all another experience. When I emptied my office out, because I don't use it, I just threw everything away. It was all these files that just didn't matter. And yep. I didn't bring any paper home. I just didn't. <laughs> so the world has changed. But part of my question is not only what are you doing about it, but then how do you do it where I'm sure you probably have a few advisors and service providers in your organization that are not as, they don't embrace it quite the way you would hope. So there's that issue. How do you get them involved? I'm assuming that you will have clients that don't want it. So how do you bridge that gap? How do you get people in the game? How do you make that user experience so attractive so they, they want to do it? So I like options. I like options for myself, right? Sure, and I think sure. we have to give options to everyone. And I'm not expecting 100% adoption in any way, shape, or form from advisors or clients. What I try to do is I try to challenge and give credible challenge to anyone who kind of pushes back. One of the biggest things I've always faced my entire career and others in my role face this as well. Now, high net worth, ultra high net worth client tends to skew older. Our average client is about 66 years old. And immediately people think, well, that generation or older people don't want to use technology. But the funny thing is, if I look at the statistics, our relationships that are over 20 million, 85% of those relationships are online. The lead client in that relationship is online. Compared to relationships that are under 5 million is only 68%. And you would think that that would be higher. So if you, if you look at those statistics, and our clients log in an average of about two and a half days a week. So about two to three times a week are they logging in and seeing more up-to-date information than maybe their advisor is doing in an annual a quarterly review that stuff that happened you know, a month and a half ago or a few months ago. And so the data speaks for itself. So I just put it out there. And so, you know, for the years I've been doing this, I've, I've gotten a lot of pushback on what we're trying to do. And so I know the data points that I can just put back in front. I've also hired design firms, specifically design firms, not the big five consulting firms, because I feel like you, you get a lot of just churn of regular information. I look at firms who specialize in high net worth and ultra high net worth clients and families, and I bring them in to do some blind interviews with our clients and get the real deal of what they think is going on in the experience. And we videotape those clients in just like a, a Zoom call uh, so that we have that evidence and we can look at their facial reactions and look at what they're doing. In my previous role, we had two-way mirror set up in a, a meeting room where clients would come in and I would sit behind a two-way mirror and I would observe what was going on and kind of replay that back. And oftentimes it's just putting that in front of the advisor and saying, here are the questions we asked your client. You know, what's most important to them? When you meet with them quarterly, what do they want to talk about? And I put that right in front of them, and then we batch it up with what they think the value is that they're providing. And there's a Venn diagram, but there's a lot of side of that that's not happening. And I think it's stuff that you can't argue with. And the other thing is, how can I make the client's life easier, and how can I make the advisor's life easier? One of the mm -hmm. projects I'm working on right now is revamping the entire quarterly meeting process and, and really moving away from this idea that we need to give the client a 90 to 120-page PDF or book that's bound and we go through page by page by page and say like, that's great. And, and yes, 
clients hand us that back mostly because they don't want their information hanging around. They don't know what to do with this thing. And, and it's collecting dust at their house. Nor And they're getting rid of the paper too, Jack, just like you did. And so they're wondering, and they have access to some of this real-time information and a way that I can provide that information to the advisor to say like, hey, if, if the client in that quarterly meeting throws a curveball to you, wouldn't you want to have the ability to make a few clicks and have that answer on the fly? So I really just try to play to their things that they don't have today. And last but not least, if I've recognized anything, and I'm a very competitive person, is that advisors love competition. So if I get a few <laughs> other... <laughs> I hear you. It's, it's just using a doubt against them, but you know, advisors love competition. So I know my early adopters. I think we have a lot of people that are late adopters. Sure, they won't sure, adopt until sure. everything is perfect, right? But I have a lot of people who are early adopters and I identify those people. And I make them tell their story. Yes, this thing that I use that everyone else is pushing about helped me here. And that'll get the next tranche of people to start using that because they're seeing that the other advisors are having much more meaningful conversations with their clients, much more meaningful conversations with prospects and winning new business, but they don't want to be left out, right? We are creatures of adoption and the quicker we adopt, the better our survival is. So I, I use that towards my advantage. So I, another way, the, the, the current way it's referred to, I'm sure it's the same, but if you'd comment, FOMO, fear of missing out. That's right. That would seem to be a trump card of yours. Tell me more about FOMO. You know, you have to get some friends in the front office, right? Because you're hired to change the firm in a good way, right? You're, you're brought in to look at everything and say, hey, that doesn't make sense. Let's make this easier. And, and so I recruit them to tell their story. And there's real powerful ingredients in storytelling. You yes, can't deny yes. a story. You, can, you, you can't deny a story from one of your colleagues and have them speak about it over and over again. So I just implore that as much as I can. And I tell stories about what I've observed or what we've seen happen as well. You know, people love to say, people love stats, like I saved the company this much money, I saved the advisor this many hours. But it's always skewed when it comes from my mouth, right? Because they're saying, of course oh, you'd say that, of, right? Of course the head of digital is saying that stuff, right? He's, he's trying to prove his paycheck. But when it comes from another wealth director or wealth advisor or, you know, a portfolio manager on how their day is running easier, or I get a client testimony that I pass back, and that's undeniable. You know, it's interesting. I grew up in this business as a financial wholesaler. I was selling products and talking to advisors and it was a while back, but that's what I did. I still do it today, except I call it executives instead of uh, advisors. Same concept. FOMO, FOMO's at the heart of it. FOMO's <laughs> at the heart of it, believe me. And what I hear you say, a couple things you've said, I'm summarizing, but I'd love to have you comment. You're responsible for the user experience, and that user can be either client or advisor or executive for that matter. It's just yep. your, that's your, and that, that you wish you're really doing with FOMO and other means, but it's also, I, I always look at everything as FOMO if you really want to move something forward, where it's not about what you think, it's what their colleagues think or their competitor thinks or their, the one that's ahead of them on the leaderboard, what they're doing and why they're succeeding. Do I have this about right? That's right. Because it's always going to be skewed coming from me. That's it, right? I'm credible in what I've done in my my career and, and my ability to execute, but the credibility gets lost when I'm trying to get 
people to change that don't necessarily want to change. So just I use another oh, mechanism. Oh, so you're responsible for change behavior, and that's hard. <laughs> yes. Or behavior change, I should say. Yeah, as it relates to how we move forward, you know, I think that especially in this industry, in, in this kind of niche industry where you're serving families and, and high net worth and ultra high net worth clients, you know, the industry tends to think that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, and especially advisor thinks if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rod, don't come here and try to tell me how to change the way I'm doing work. I have been an advisor for as many gray hairs as I have on my head. And I, I'm not really trying to do that so much. What I'm trying to say is there's a different way, maybe not so much better, but a different way to connect with your client, to connect with your team, to have you spend more time with your client on the things that you like, which is relationship management, solving issues, solving problems, which is why clients pay us fees on their accounts to manage versus pushing paper from one person to another or a lot of manual work. And that's the hardest thing because it's like, I've always done this for the client and that's what they want. Well, have you asked them? No, I just know. <laughs> and so then we come through and ask and it's like, well, not so much, not 100% of the time. Yep. I think this is great. So one of the things I noticed, I was doing a little homework on you, Rod, and Fiduciary Trust. I noticed that you're a founding member of Punks and Pinstripes. <laughs> do yes. tell. What is Punks and Pinstripes? What do you all do? You know, people like me need another outlet to to basically cry on, a shoulder to cry on. And if you look at it, uh, because we're all struggling with this in, in every industry, it's not just financial services, it's almost every industry. Sure. And what it's really meant to be, it's an invite only group it's managed by a gentleman named Greg. Um, and the purpose of the group is to obviously solve problems, help each other solve problems, whether whatever that happens to be. But it's really how do you circumvent obstructionists within your organization? <laughs> I love that. I, yeah. I've, never, I've never heard them called out so bluntly and accurately. That's the thing with the group is it's very open and honest. And, and what is everyone dealing with? How can other members of the group help you through a challenge that you're working through? And it's you know, the most interesting thing is I can bring up an issue that's obstructionary in, in nature and other people, under, other industries have very similar ties. And so we're all thinking about what's another outlet or another way to get through to this. And if I look at, and I think it's great, you know, there's a number of groups like that are that are out there. This one's really for executives. And again, it's invite only and it's got some special parameters around it. But if you look at advisors have their affinity groups, trust officers have their affinity groups, right? CEOs have their affinity groups. It's not until recently that, you know, heads of digital strategies or chief digital officers or CTOs had theirs as well. But when you're in a change agent type of role, like most of us, the heads of digital or chief digital officers are, there wasn't really anything. So it's nice to see this emergence of a, I always call it a shoulder to cry on, but it's really nice to go and understand that, like, not that the grass is greener anywhere else, that other people are dealing with the similar issues. You're, you're not alone. Maybe it's a support group I <laughs> that I'm part of, but I think it's a really wonderful organization. Greg does a wonderful job about bringing the right people together and allowing us to kind of have a forum to each help each other work through problems. Great. So, Rod, this has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I share many of the same uh, 
challenges, opportunities that uh, you describe in terms of changing the world. I always find changing the world to be a little hard. So, and really appreciate the conversation. What are three key takeaways you'd like to share with our audience? Never settle. If you are a client, ask for what you want. Don't be afraid to ask your advisor for what you want and what experience you want. And last but not least, if you are a change agent, you will always look like the crazy person in the room. And once you get a few more followers, you'll start to look less crazy. But revel in the crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you all the way. Our other favorite question as we look to close out is, and off topic from, maybe we'll see what you how you answer, but what is it that you do outside of work that you're particularly passionate or excited about uh, that people might find interesting or exciting? I'm much like everyone else. I love traveling and meeting new people. My other passion is storytelling and talking about experiences from my own personal life and sharing those, getting audiences to, to laugh maybe a little bit in that sense. And last but not least, I am looking forward to writing a book on, on coaching. And one of the things I really take pride in is coaching my team to excellence. And they're a wonderful team. They're really talking about those principles in a book and, and what I've learned and just kind of sharing it out. Things that I wish you know I would have known kind of coming into this. Good for you. That's great. That's great. I love it. So, Rod, thanks so much. It's been a great conversation. Really, I've enjoyed getting to know you and what you do and how you do it. I see that you're rather effective at the whole the whole package. So, well done. For our audience, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and or share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Rod. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by Life Yield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.